morning, Gospel Hope. Man, it's good to be back with you once again, and it's great to be able to open God's Word together. Well, we are diving into a new-ish series here, so we're going back to the book of 1 Corinthians. So if some of you were with us about two years ago, uh, we had a series entitled Messy, working through the first seven chapters of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to return to that and preach through chapters 8 through 16 as we kind of approach this summer season. And there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, is as we approach Mother's Day and Father's Day, sometimes, a lot of times, we are thinking about relationships. And, and 1 Corinthians really helps us to step into relationships in a godly way. The second reason is, man, the book of 1 Corinthians is incredibly relevant for the era in which we live today. You know why? Because Corinth was a hot mess. And uh, thus the title of the series, Messy. Um, we are seeking to step into relationships in a broken world, into messy circumstances, in a way that honors God. And are we living in some messy circumstances right now? Amen. Amen. So in Corinth, people were suing one another, brothers and sisters in Christ. They were, they were divided over who their favorite teacher was. Sin was running rampant in the church. There was all kinds of different people with different opinions on all kinds of different issues. And Paul steps into this messy situation. He says, wait, God's grace is available. And even though you are different people living in a pagan culture, in a broken and fallen world, and even though your hearts themselves are a mess, the grace of Christ is available for you to really love God, love one another, and love the world in a way that exalts the character and work of Jesus Christ. I think that's good news. And I hope that this book of scripture over the next several weeks as we dive into it will really encourage us to see that in spite of the mess, we can honor Christ in a broken world. Amen? So that's where we're going today and over the next several weeks. So can we pray? And then we'll jump into 1 Corinthians chapter 8 this morning. Father, we are so grateful that you are our friend, as we have already sung. Lord, it's not because of who we are or what we've done, but it's rather because of who you are and what your son has done on our behalf. And I pray today that by your Holy Spirit, through your infallible word, you would speak to your people. Oh, Lord, we need you. In our broken world, in our messy relationships, we need grace. So I pray you would hide me behind the cross, speak to your people, let them hear your voice from your word today. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. When uh, Trisha and I first got married right around 20 years ago, um, we were out at a restaurant. I remember this rather distinctly. And we were looking over the menu um, I've kind of was eyeing the things that look good to me and the, uh, waitress came over to our table and just before she took our order, Trisha said something like this to me, do you want to share something to which every instinct in me responded something like this? If you could look at the screen, what? No, no. No, 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 no. I don't want to share anything. I want to order a ridiculously large plate and, ex and consume the whole thing. But instead of simply saying that, I paused for a moment and thought, well, 
I would prefer getting something for myself. Trisha prefers to share something with me. This is not a matter of right or wrong, depending on the restaurant that you're at. I mean, sometimes it's a matter of right or wrong. But in this particular case, this is just a preference. Can you say that word with me? It is a preference. I value Trisha more than I value a meal. So I can happily set aside my in favor of hers. And so I did. And that's why we're still married today. Yeah, that's right. Just give my wife whatever she wants. That's the secret to a happy marriage. I'm just kidding. But I mentioned this story because it illustrates a similar principle that is his work here in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. And what Paul is trying to drive home to the Corinthian believers, and I believe to us by extension, is simply this. People are greater than preferences. People are greater than preferences. That is, we should care more about the spiritual health of others than we care about getting to do what we prefer. People should matter to us more than our preferences. You see, if you've trusted in Christ, the Lord has given us freedom in so many ways. Amen? I mean, you are free from hell. That's a glorious truth. You are free from the power of sin in your life. Man, that is wonderful that we can obey God and walk in him. You are you are. Free from living in condemnation. Amen? That is a glorious truth. And you are free from the minutia and the hundreds of rules and regulations in the Old Testament law. You are free to live a life following Christ and not being a stickler for the Old Testament law. However, just because we have this newfound freedom does not give us the right and license to indulge every whim. In fact, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul says exactly that. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 13. Look at what he says. For you were called to be free. You're free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another in love. For the whole law is summed up in this. Love your neighbor as yourself. In a very real sense, we have been liberated to love. You've been set free so that you might love and serve other people. And this is what the Corinthian believers were missing in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. They forgot that they had all these freedoms, but these freedoms, the, the intent of these freedoms was so that they could love and serve other people. Corinth, like many cities in the ancient world, was known and notorious for its idol worship. I mean, there were temples everywhere in Corinth and all of the accoutrements that went with that. And one of those things that went along with idol worship was the sacrifice of animals. Well, so you would bring an animal to the temple, you would kill it there, it would be sacrificed just like the you know, the Old Testament Jewish religion, these idols had kind of copied and mimicked that, and that was part of their tradition. So some entrepreneurial types thought, well, man, there is an opportunity here. No sense in wasting all this good meat. We might as well figure out how to turn a profit out of all these animals being killed. So suddenly, these temples of idols became not just places of pagan worship, but they actually became butcher shops 
and also restaurants. So you could go to the temple, get your worship on, and then also have a nice meal afterwards. I mean, that, that was kind of the way that it worked. And what was going on here is some believers saw this development and thought, awesome. This is great. Look, I can go into the city. There's cheap meat there to buy. And I love eating at Mick Idols. It is a great place to get myself a steak. Other believers, on the other hand, had some serious reservations. I couldn't resist. That was so good. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Temple to temple. The difference of opinion was not in and of itself its issue. That, that wasn't the real problem. It wasn't whether you thought you could eat or whether you thought you couldn't eat. The problem was that some of the believers with strong consciences, those who thought it was fine to eat at the temple, were having a cavalier attitude towards those younger in the faith. Look at verse number one. Here, Paul lays the problem out very clearly. Now, about food sacrificed to idols. So we see what he's talking about here. We know that we all have knowledge. He's being a little bit sarcastic here. We all have knowledge, but knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Paul is somewhat bitingly, challenging these, these strong believers to remember that winning the argument is not as important as winning the person. Or to put it plainly, it is possible to have the right position and have the wrong posture. It is completely possible for you to be right on an issue, to have the right position. You have your rights. You are free and clear. You have thought this through clearly and you are correct, but at the same time to have a completely wrong posture about that very issue. And Paul is saying, look, the position and the posture matter. In fact, if you were to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, which one matters more? It's the posture that matters more in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Keep going here. Um, Paul is urging these believers to love one another in the midst of their differences. And that's really the point of the whole message this morning. Paul is saying, look, you guys have differences of opinions on that. That, that in and of itself is not the issue. It's fine to have difference of, of opinions on preferences. It's fine to like things differently than others. What's problem is, is when you're not loving one another, when you're not considering one another, when you're not walking with one another in harmony in the midst of those differences. And what a needed reminder that is today. To say that believers have been divided in recent days may be the understatement of the millennium. Politics. The pandemic have, have divided even godly believers. Current offense and a checkered history have threatened to drive wedges inside of the church. And yet the Lord in his kindness speaks to us a timeless word in a timely manner through the scripture. Though our specific problems may vary from meat offered to idols and whether we should eat or not or how we treat one another. There is grace available in God's word today. So if you have experienced division, even with other believers, can I encourage you with this? Will you lean in this morning? Will you really listen to what God has to say? I really believe that God wants to speak to us this morning through his word to encourage us to not just have the right position on issues, but to have the right posture and to say loud and clear, listen, 
Preferences are fine. There's nothing wrong with preferences. But what really matters is people. And we want to be far more concerned with the spiritual health of our brothers and sisters than we are about getting to do exactly what we want to do. So here in our passage today, Paul, with exceptional pastoral wisdom, gives us several reasons why we must love one another in spite of, or maybe because of our differences. I'm going to give you three reasons this morning. Reasons to love through our differences. The first one, number one, is this. We should love each other through our differences because siblings are more important than steak. Now, obviously, that's a little bit of a silly way to put it. But I think this is exactly what Paul is urging us to believe. Look at verse number four. Now, about eating food sacrificed to idols, then, we know that an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no God but one. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God. If I could kind of paraphrase Paul, he's basically saying, look, you guys that are saying these idols are really nothing, they don't really matter, theologically, you're correct. You're right. There is no God but one. We know that there is only one God in the world. So if you want to talk from a theological standpoint about these idol temples meaning nothing and the meat sacrificed to them meaning nothing, then you are 100% right on that issue. But he's not done. He wants these believers who are in the know who have the right position to understand that they are really missing something. And it's this, that rightness is not the same as righteousness, church. Rightness is not the same as righteousness. You can be right and be evil at the same time. You can be right and be unholy at the same time. You can be right and unloving at the same time. And Paul is saying to these strong brothers and sisters, look, you are right in your position, but your posture is wrong. There is something that you are missing. Look at verse number seven. However, not everyone has this knowledge. Some have been so used to idolatry that up until now, when they eat food sacrificed to an idol, their conscience being weak is defiled. Now let's paraphrase Paul again. Look, you and I both know that an idol is nothing. It's a hunk of stone. It's a block of wood. But some of your brothers and sisters have for their whole lives lived enslaved to this symptom, this system of false worship. And when you go in there and you start eating meat and they do it as well, they feel terrible. They feel like they're sinning. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about the fact that not everybody thinks about this issue exactly like you do? Right now, in our world today, there are 10,000 things for us to disagree about. You know, I, I was just having a conversation before church this morning about disagreements over preferences. It's just everywhere. And if you haven't been living under a rock, or even if you have... I feel like the division and the differences in our society have crept into virtually every aspect of our life. And this in and of itself is not a problem according to the scripture. Look, I'm going to say something super profound right now. Ready? I mean, this is like blow your mind. Different people think different thoughts. I know. Wow. Yeah. Write that down. Write it down. Different 
people think different thoughts. Look, the problem is not differences. The problem is division. That's the problem. Look, it's not bad for people in Gospel Hope Church or in the church at large to have differing opinions on things. That's not bad. That's actually part of God's good design. I love my wife. And guess what? We don't agree on everything. I love Pastor Rod. And we don't agree on everything. I love Jalen. And we don't agree about anything. He's always wrong. Always. I don't know what his problem is. Get it together, bro. You see what I'm talking about here? It, it's not a matter of right or wrong when you have disagreements with one another. We have to see that the goal is not simply to have the right position knowledge. The goal is to love one another in the midst of our positions. If we go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says it very famously. If I speak with human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I'm a noising gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mystery and all knowledge, and if I have all faith that I can move mountains, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. And if I give all my possessions, and if I give over my body in order to boast, but not have love, I gain nothing. Paul is saying to believers, you might be right, but you're not being loving, and therefore you lose. Your siblings are more important than steak. Man, I know some of you are research savants. I married one of them. I know some of you have strong opinions about issues. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with this. But I do want to have us all carefully pose this question to ourselves. Do I care more about being right than I do about doing right? Are you just trying to win an argument? Just trying to get that, aha, gotcha. Are you just trying to prove your point or are you trying to really love your brother and sister? Because across that screen or through that email or on the other end of the phone is a human being made in the image of God. And if there are your brother and sister of Christ, that is a person for whom Christ died and is brought into his family and therefore, they should be more important to us than our preferences. Now, I'm not saying don't have opinions. That's not what I'm saying. Paul didn't say that. But he is saying let people matter more than our preferences. That's number one. Siblings are more important than stake. You can quote that all day long, right? Number two. Influence is more important than indulgence. Another reason we need to be governed by love, even when we disagree, is because God has given us each influence to steward. Do you know that? God has given you influence to steward. You have relationship capital in people's lives, and you need to be careful how you spend that capital. Look again at the text, verse number eight. Food will not bring us close to God. We are not worse off if we don't eat, and we are not better if we do eat. So again, Paul affirms here that the primary issue is not about eating or not eating. This is an area, this is not an area of absolute right or wrong. But then Paul brings another consideration to our attention. Look at verse number nine. But 
be careful that this right of yours in no way becomes a stumbling block to the weak. For if someone sees you, the one who has knowledge, dining in an idol's temple, won't his weak conscience be encouraged to eat food offered to idols? So the weak person, the brother or sister for whom Christ died is ruined by your knowledge. So Paul's saying, even though these strong brothers, they, they have the right to eat. They have the right to do so. Paul is urging careful consideration because it is quite possible to harm those with weaker consciences through the unrestrained exercise of our rights. Perhaps a uh, modern day illustration will help with this principle. Uh, Probably about a month ago, I was out to eat with four brothers who I think really all love the Lord. All of them. I'm like, man, I really admire these guys. I think they are all walking with Jesus in some ways. Some of them are more mature than me in my faith. I look up to them in some ways. So we're sitting there and we're at a barbecue spot and we order our food and we sit down at the table and three of us are seated there. And one of the guys who was kind of an outsider, they're not from in town, they were visiting from out of town, looks across the table at me and says, hey, Ryan, do you mind if I order a beer? I I looked over at him and he said, "And and let me be clear, I think the Bible clearly teaches against drunkenness. Okay, I think that is clear, absolute in the scripture that believers should not be drunk. I also think that the Bible teaches that any consumption of alcohol is not in and of itself sin as long as it's done in moderation and carefully. So that's my biblical position. So when he asked me that question, my mind didn't say sinner. It it just said, okay, he's not in and of itself sinning. But then I knew that the brother who hadn't sat down at the table yet, I knew a little bit of his background. And I said to this guy, hey, man. I don't have an issue with you doing that, but listen, I know this guy over here, he has a past where he really has struggled with alcohol before. I mean, it's been a real stronghold in his life. And the guy, here was his response immediately, no hesitation. Oh, man. Oh, no no worries then. I'm not going to order anything. I think that's exactly right. I think that's exactly the right posture to say, look, my brother is way more important than indulging myself. My influence in his life needs to be stewarded, and I don't need to tear that influence down by taking a moment to indulge myself. I think that's the heart of what Paul is calling us to do. And if I could summarize the principle, we should be known more for our love than for our liberties. Are you known more for your love or for your liberties? Yes, the freedoms that we have in Christ are exceptional and wonderful, but I don't want to be known for my indulgence. I want to be known for my love for other brothers and sisters. We must, at times, willingly limit our liberties. Listen, Americans, this is hard to hear sometimes. We must willingly, joyfully, voluntarily limit our liberties out of love. This is exactly what Paul did over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Although I'm free from all and not any one slave. What is he saying? I'm free. I have rights. I can do what I want. And yet I have made myself a slave to everyone. Why? In order to win people. He loved people. 
To the Jews, I limited myself. I became a Jew. To those under the law, like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law. To win those under the law. To those who are without the law, like one without the law. Though I am not without God's law, but under the law of Christ. To win those without the law. To the weak, I became weak in order to win the weak. I have become all things to all people. So that I may in every possible means save some. What is Paul saying? I set aside my liberty because there is something bigger than me indulging myself. It's my influence in other people's lives. Why did Paul go to such extreme? Because he didn't want to waste his influence. And church, I would just challenge you in the same way. Don't waste your influence. You only have so much of it to spend. Don't waste your influence. You only have so much relational capital in people's lives. We should be about the main things. Paul cared about other people's spiritual walk more than he was concerned about his own personal freedoms. In a sense, if I could kind of use an illustration, Paul was guarding his brand. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I'm going to put an image up on the screen right now. And this is obviously... Now, we're really close to idolatry here because I do love this particular establishment. This is the brand of... Chick-fil-A, the logo of Chick-fil-A. Now, let's just do a a quick survey here. What is the brand of Chick-fil-A? That is, what are they known for? Just shout out a couple things. Yeah, delicious chicken. Okay, that was one of them. Okay, very good. I heard, I heard, Odara, what'd you say? Oh, Kendall did. Okay, I appreciate that, brother, being so humble about that. That's good, that's good. Um. Customer service, excellent customer service. I think those are the things that really encapsulates Chick-fil-A's brand. They have really good chicken, and they have really good customer service. But look, in order to be known for those things, they had to choose to limit themselves, did they not? Like, you can't go into Chick-fil-A and get yourself a taco. You can't get a burger. You can't get a steak. Why? Because Chick-fil-A has said, we want to be known for delicious chicken and excellent customer service. Guess what? Chick-fil-A's can't like reproduce as fast as McDonald's or other places. Why? Because it takes more training. They got to get the right people in place because they're like, hey, our brand is going to be known for its customer service. And so we're going to take our time and we are going to do it right. In order to guard their brand, they have limited them themselves. And church, listen. We have a product way more important than chicken. And so sometimes we got to limit ourselves to guard our brand. Listen, what should our brand be? Our brand should be love. By this will all people know that you are my disciples. If you love one another, we should be known for our love. Our brand should be the gospel. The greatest message in the world. Christ died for sinners and anyone and everyone who would ever trust in him can have a right relationship with God. I want to be known for those things. It's not that I don't have opinions or thoughts or ideas about other things. But the main thing, the main thing that I want the brand of Ryan McCammock and the brand of Gospel Hope Church to represent is Jesus Christ and him crucified. Yes, it it requires sacrifice to look out for weaker brothers and sisters. But we need to ask ourselves at the end of the day, what 
do I want to be known for? Does this moment of indulgence, before you hit send, before you hit post, before you pick up the phone and rant, does this moment of indulgence limit my influence from the things that really matter in people's lives? Yeah, it's hard. But look, that's what stronger siblings do. They bear with their weaker siblings. That's what they do. I know there's a popular phrase today, adulting. That's what mature Christians do. They bear with people that are along as far in their journey as they're. In fact, Paul says it exactly that way in Romans chapter 15. He says it this is. Now we who are strong, listen to these words, have an obligation to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not to please ourselves. The call is to look out for people who might not be as far along as you on your journey. They may be wrong, and yet we're to love them. We're to come alongside and not waste our influence on indulgence. This doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth. This doesn't mean that we waffle on biblical principles. This doesn't mean that we change the gospel. This doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth in love. But it does mean that we are willing and happily and joyfully looking for ways we can set aside our preferences for the good of those who might not be as far along as us. Number three, and lastly, Christ is more important than comfort. The final reason we should love our brothers and sisters, even in the midst of differences, is simply because it honors God. It honors the Lord to do so. You see, here's the reality. When we sin another, against another human being, we are ultimately sinning against the one who made that human being. There's no such thing as sin in a vacuum. Every offense is always ultimately directed towards God. You say, where do you get that? Well, Paul says it very plainly in verse number 12. Now, when you sin like this against brothers and sisters and wound their weak conscience, look at what it says. You are sinning against Christ. Or as John puts it, for the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. You know, sin always has this horizontal and vertical dimension to it. Always, every single time. When you sin against another person, another image bearer, a brother, sister in Christ, you're ultimately sinning against the creator, against the father of that brother or sister in Christ. The fact is simply this, all sin is against God. All of it. When we recognize this, say, why does Paul bring this up? I think, I think there's actually a liberating aspect to this. Because sometimes we can get all in our feelings, or we can get really hot and bothered about certain things, and then we, we just let loose. You know, anybody ever said things they regretted? And then we begin, to, we, get, we begin to excuse ourselves with things like this. Well, it's no big deal. I mean, it was just so-and-so. Or, you know what, they'll, they'll get over it. You know, that was just a moment of, you know, it's not a big deal. Or, you know, they just need to grow up. Like, they just need to get a little bit of a thicker skin. But this is not the right heart, according to this passage. God cares when any of his children are wronged. 
God cares. Uh, you know, um, when, I, when I correct my children sometimes, which never happens because they're pastor's kids and they're perfectly perfect, um, sometimes they'll get into squabbles or fights. And, 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 and if somebody like, punches somebody or, or says something mean or whatever. Again, never happened. I'm just speaking hypothetically here. This is not real. I'll, I'll kind of get down and I'll start talking to them and I'll be like, listen, what, what happened there? Well, I got mad at my sister. Okay. Um, I, I want to tell you something. I, I love you very much, but I also love them. And I'm not going to let you treat them that way. That's part of my job. I'm your father. I'm also your sister's or your brother's father, which means I love you and I love them. And when you hurt them, you actually also hurt me. Isn't that true of a spiritual sense as well? I mean, sometimes we get this idea, it's like, well, just me and Jesus, you know, just me and the Lord. He just really cares about me. I'm going to go in my, have my quiet time with just me and God. And that's true. And I'm, I'm really glad when you get alone with God and you focus on your relationship with him as a son or a daughter. But listen, you're part of a family. And when you sin against your brothers and sisters, you're not just hurting another person. You're actually sinning against the Lord himself. You can't be wrong with your brother and sister and right with God simultaneously. Now, I don't mean conflicts don't arise. That's not what I mean. I don't mean every relationship gets worked out, but you can't be actively sinning against your brother and sister and think God's like cool with that. He's not. Just as I wouldn't be cool with like, hey, you know, hey, Selah, your and I relationship is great, but, you know, at, at bedtime every night you go and beat your sister up. But our relationship is great. no. Our relationship is not great because this relationship is not great. You have to get this worked out in order to get this worked out. And man, if we're just flaming other people, and then I'm like, well, I just love the Lord. You don't. You don't. I'm not saying you don't have sentiments or feelings to the Lord. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying the Lord quit loving you. I am saying you're walking in his displeasure, though. You cannot love God whom you have not seen and not love your brother who you have seen. It's just impossible. Our horizontal and vertical relationships are always, always connected. Listen, part of loving Christ is loving his people. That's part of it. You know, you hear the sentiment someday, man, I love the Lord. I just can't get along with the church. That is not a biblical mindset. Because part of what it means to love God is to love his people. That's part and parcel of following Jesus. So you might hear all this and say, man, Brian, that's a, a really tall order. I mean, you're, you're asking me to willingly give up my rights. That's very un-American, first of all. And look, I, I'm not sure that type of selflessness is in me. I mean, you're saying, you're saying I should actually like consider other people more than myself. Set aside my preferences in order to help other people in their spiritual walk with the Lord. Ryan, 
that sounds really hard, and I don't know if it's in here. Here's the reality. It's not in there. It's not in there. According to the scripture, we all have a bent towards selfishness. We're all, by nature, a little bit of egomaniacs and narcissists. We all love us some us. But there's good news. Because it might not be in us. But brothers and sisters, it is in Christ. Philippians chapter 2 says this. Jesus Christ, who existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. In other words, he had rights. He had every right in the world. He had right to rule and reign and judge and punish. He had the rights on his side. And yet, instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity. And as if that was not enough, and when he came as a man, he humbled himself even further, as if the gap between God and man was not sufficient enough. By becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on the cross, there's someone who gave up their rights. Listen to the statement very plainly. Jesus gave up his rights as God to make people like us right with God. Jesus set aside it all so that undeserving people, selfish people, like you and I, could be right with the God of the universe. And here's the thing. Jesus did it not only to serve us, but to enable us to serve others. In other words, there was so much right sacrifice. There was so much goodness in Jesus that it overflowed onto his people. Jesus is so unselfish that he can transfer his unselfishness to selfish people like you and I. In fact, if you back up just one verse in Philippians chapter uh, 2, it says this, have this mind among yourselves. Look, look, which is yours in Christ Jesus? Brothers and sisters, this type of selflessness is not in you, but it is in Christ and he gives it to you. It now belongs to you. Yes, it is a tall order to lay down our rights for others. It is a high bar to sacrifice our preferences for people. But Christ died so that we could do it. Jesus died to enable us to serve others. It may not be. In fact... I would argue it isn't naturally in any one of us in this room to give of ourselves for the good of others. That's, that, that doesn't come naturally to us. But it does come supernaturally. Through the work of Jesus on our behalf, you've been given a new heart. And therefore, 
serve. Therefore, love. Therefore, give of yourselves for the good of others. Let's be known as people who love the gospel and love others and want to see the mission of Christ go forward, whatever it costs. And if I have to give up my rights, if I have to give up my preferences, so be it, because Christ died to enable me to follow in his steps. Amen? I want to do something just as we close. I think one of the best ways that we can kind of help us to get into this mindset of choosing people over preferences is consider God's patience with you. You know, so often this is a call to be patient with other people. It's not usually just a one-time incident. It's an over and over type incident. And it's difficult to bear with differences because the weakness and sins of other people often cause us to long suffering. You know what that word means? You suffer for a long time. But the God of the Bible is a God of long suffering. And hasn't he suffered long with you? Hasn't God been extremely patient with you? So what I wanna do right now is just take a moment. We're gonna play some music over the house. And if you feel comfortable, I'd like you to share with somebody around you just this answer to this question. How has the Lord been patient towards you? How has God been patient towards you? Just take about 30 seconds or a minute to share with one another. And then we'll come back here and I'll close this out with one final point of application. Is the Lord good? Is he long-suffering towards us? Isn't he kind and merciful and gracious and so patient? And I want to do one thing. Okay, I ask you to consider God's patience towards you. And I want to wrap up this morning by asking you to do something a little harder. I want you to, I want you to confess your impatience towards others. Can you think of that person in your mind right now or people who it's hard for you to bear with? Who it requires a great deal of long-suffering in your life. And will you right now have a conversation about the Lord, with the Lord about that? Lord, forgive me. You've been so patient to me. I need to extend that patience to others. People matter more than my preferences. Lord, help me to be like Jesus. And you died to make that possible. Just talk to the Lord right now and then I'll close with some word of prayer and we'll sing one more time together. mark our transgressions who would stand but with you there is loving kindness and forgiveness so Lord we confess our impatience with others we confess our arrogance and pride we confess our unkind words or judgmental spirit we confess Lord and we receive the cleansing that you offer to us in Christ Jesus thank you that Jesus came 
not just to serve us, but to enable us to serve others. Help us to walk in his steps. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand on our feet and worship this God who has saved us.